Hi, I'm Sam Pador, and I'd like to welcome Steve Hackett. Steve was the lead guitarist of the classic lineup for Genesis and is currently on his Foxtrot at 50 tour. Steve will be playing in Seattle, where I'm based, on November 9th, so just a month and a half away. So welcome, Steve. How are you doing? Very, very good, Sam. Nice to talk to you. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing just fine. A, a little early in the morning, but you know what? Things are, things are pretty good. Right. Good, good, good. Yeah, it's kind of it's later here in the UK. It's it's just gone four in the afternoon here. Oh yeah, well, wow. Well, yeah, you you must not be too tired. It's eight a.m. here, so it's a bright bright and early start. Right. Oh well. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Right. Well, as I just okay. mentioned, you're you're currently on your Foxtrot at fifty tour. So when you released Foxtrot in seventy two, what did you picture your music career looking like fifty years later? Well, you see. I did one album with Genesis and when I was 21. We did Nursery Crime. The following year, we did Foxtrot. Now, I knew that parts of Foxtrot were going to be well-received, but stuff like Supper's Ready, which was the, pretty much the whole of side two, uh, we'd taken a big chance with that. We stuck our neck out with that, and I didn't know whether... First of all, our record company was going to like it. I fully expected them to say, you must be crazy, you guys. Uh, that's it. We're tearing up your contract. Forget it. But instead of which, all these years later, it's become the most famous progressive track in the world now. And so I was so wrong. And luckily, to be so, so wrong, uh, I, I'm very happy that it survived, that it sprouted legs and then eventually wings. And this re-record I've just done from Brighton um, has gone to number two in the rock charts here in the UK. So uh, all over again, you know, Foxtrot and it's whatever it is, and it's created this buzz all over again. I've taken this show around the world. I haven't taken it to the States yet, but pretty much everywhere else, you know, I've been, I've been playing this and it's been received rapturously, uh, luckily. And I, I'm, I'll be intrigued to find out how America absorbs it um, second time around, you know, 50 years hiatus with this stuff. The band never played it live in its entirety. Um, so Genesis never did that, but my band does, and they're great players. So I like to think it's a great show. And um, the live album was mixed by Chris Lord Algy, did a great job on it, made it sound really good. So um, very, uh, very compressed, very bright, very powerful sounding, uh, very arena sounding. And uh, I, I love the way he's, he's made it sound like that. So the people who go to your show should look forward to to the whole Foxtrot album. Yes, the whole the whole of Foxtrot plus solo stuff before it. There's probably 40, 45 minutes worth of solo stuff. Then we usually take a 15 or 20 minute break. Then we come back with the whole of uh, Foxtrot uh, plus some other Genesis uh, golden oldies. Oh, that's that sounds like a lot of fun. Now, do you do you love touring? Is that like a a hobby of yours something that that's fun for you yeah I, I i do like touring um i wrote a song about it many many years ago called the show and it was talking about you know i'm just a simple man and um and it's a simple life and um just put me on the flight and all that i the aspect of being on the road a bit a bit like being in the army means that you know a lot of things are done for you um whereas when i'm at home in civilian life, I've got to drive my car, go to the post office, make sure this is done, make sure that's done. Yeah, my life, it, it, it actually gets more simple once I'm on the road. People assume it's tiring, 
to do that. And the most tiring part of the day, of course, yes, traveling by road most places and um, and then checking in a hotel has its, you know, has its drawbacks. But once I'm in the venue and I've done my sound check, um, it's, it's interesting that um, it's actually a much simpler life than um, all the things that fate might throw at you during the course of your early day life. You know, you've got to deal with everything else. The insurance, the food, you know, has the budgie been fed if you've got one, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's surprising to hear from my perspective here. I, I mean, I've heard a lot from people, oh my gosh, touring, driving everywhere, flying everywhere. Ugh. But I guess mm. that, that does make sense that um it, you get served to almost. I mean, you are you are well, under the spotlight. Yeah, I, yeah. The, the real work starts, you know, with that two or three hours on stage every night, and mm-hmm. um, of course, yeah, that that'll uh, it'll take everything you've got and more, but it but then it rewards you with, with something which is, you know, the great currency that is music itself, especially when it's um, performed to an enthusiastic audience, and then you get all of that massive feedback from them. Um, it's a great feeling to leave people really happy and leave them. Uh, on their feet, you know, that that's a, that is a great, a great, great feeling. Yeah, well, I, I know you mentioned earlier a song on Foxtrot, Supper's Ready. That that song is 23 minutes. So how is the process of writing and working on a song that long different from working on something shorter? 23 minutes, perfect length for a hit single. Um, and the truth is, it's um, it's something that was put together in about two weeks, all those years with Genesis, we used to write albums in an or or, um, or six weeks. And I think Phil Collins did that. You know, he used to say that his albums took him about a month to record. It's extraordinary to think that, really, you know, from scratch. But um, writing of Suffers Ready took a couple of weeks. Um, there were a couple of things that might have already been written that were involved in it, like Willow Farm, which was a, a song that Pete brought to the band um and there's the fireman section which already existed from an older genesis era uh, so you get a bit of 1960s in there as well um but the other parts were all written for it and taylor made and all the, you know the nine eight stuff and um the various guitar bits and solos and there's a lot of it the 12 string stuff early on that was all i think taylor made for it that's my that's my memory of it and I just remember us working for two weeks solidly on that one piece to try and make that work. Oh, yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense with a song like that. I mean, it has so many different sections, right? Like, it's almost like a suite. Yeah, I think that it's uh, a little bit like a little bit like classical music, a little bit like concerto, a little bit like symphony, a little bit like a suite of separate pieces, fairly short pieces that can be absorbed into something much longer. Um yeah, I think that that's a very good way of describing it, like a suite. Yeah, sure. Well, would you see, or would you say, like classical music and progressive rock, like they're kind of similar? Well, I, I think so. Uh, um, most of rock before 1970, I say most of it, um, was blues based. Then something started to happen, and people like myself who'd been listening to Andres Segovia, Segovia plays Bach. Um, listening to that stuff was almost like a guilty pleasure compared to everything else. And then I thought, what a shame that none of this stuff impinges on rock. W- wouldn't it be great if if able to describe it like that at the time? But Pan General approached that it's inclusive. It 
it absorbs everything. Um, it should be possible for Baroque and blues and jazz and classical and pop, all the rest, and, and eventually world music to all coexist on the same record. Uh, this started to happen, I think, as, as Baroque um, gave way to blues. So blues gave way to progressive, it seems to me. Um, and um, there's no reason for progressive to sound dated at all. I mean, I was just hearing Big Big Train and their stuff is, I suppose we have to call it progressive, but in, in a sense, you know, they're going their own, own sweet way. Any band that goes their own sweet way are going to be described as progressive because otherwise it's in the tradition of you boogie, therefore you are. But if you're stretching out in this other direction and no one knows where you're going with it, um, uncertainty can be a very healthy um, type of fuel for new ideas. I know that the Beatles, when they did um, Sgt. Pepper, they were giving interviews and they weren't sure at all whether the world was ready for it. They, they weren't sure at all. They, they, they were, you could tell they were nervous from the kind of the Hunter Davis interviews that they were doing. And I thought, isn't it amazing? You know, this thing that just sort of set the world alight at that time in 1967, the first progressive album as we know it, perhaps, um, that they were very worried that those character portraits, as, as the thing was you know and all the pastiche all of the send up the humoresque vaudeville you know um gracie fields meets chuck berry meets god knows what all within that same circus tent or that umbrella um there was lack of certainty about it but obviously what drove it was the need to experiment and to go out on a limb so i would say to any band and any artist you know if you've got the guts uh, why don't you try that? Because without risk, music just stagnates. Yeah, I mean, I guess it would make sense. Uncertainty uh, would play a, a big role in in creative music and uh, with Genesis and yes. your stuff. Like that, that's to say the least. Like a lot of your stuff, I I mean, with with that twenty three minute and with a lot of other other great Genesis songs, you must have taken some risks there to make them sound as different as they are to some like mainstream pop, I guess, at the time. Yeah, I think Genesis became more mainstream, but it was after the departure of Peter Gabriel and myself. Um, although I'm happy that I, I, I had, this might sound boastful, but I had three hit, hit singles in my time. One with Genesis, one with GTR with Steve Howe, and one on an album called Highly Strung. I had a, a hit with, I think, called Cell 151. But they were all as if it was <clears throat> different artists, two separate bands. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm basically known for experimentation, for taking a chance. Um, I don't, I don't know, you know, mainstream record companies, you know, am I the sort of thing that, that, that fires them up? Hell no, no, I, I, I'm, I'm the equivalent of someone compared to a character act, actor, like, like going to see, someone said, go to see the latest Gene Hackman film. This was way back in a day and, and they knew that my album was going to be good, but they didn't know how good it was going to be each time. So same thing, the, the idea of a character actor who might, come up with you know a different kind of role this is all pre his superman days playing lex luther or whatever it was you know but um but it's a bit like betty davis isn't it you know she was hardly the idea of a great hollywood goddess she was a character actress who involved herself very often with very interesting material the best of which is now voyager of course 
where she transforms from the frumpy aunt into the glamorous Camille Beauchamp and it's noir film at its absolute best. But um, I don't think anyone making that film would have had any idea that it was gonna become such a classic. I know she was very proud of it. So yeah, going out on a limb and doing just exactly what you want. I said, good, good luck to any band doing that. I mean, you've got to sort of get your own following in a way, but then there's social media and um, that keeps you in touch with, with the converted and uh, it can blossom out from there. I think it's much tougher now, of course, you know, there's, there's ever more pressure for artists to conform, whatever that means, because I mean, there aren't any huge rich pickings to be had anymore in, in, in the world of music from, from albums. I mean, it's very rare for every Taylor Swift, they've got to be so many disappointed wannabes, uh, but no one, can, um, no one can make you give up. So the only one who can really truly fail you is yourself. So don't let that happen. Don't let the internal invalidator take over and tell you that you can't do something because you should be able to, um, you should be able to be yourself and also do something uniquely personal that's also universal. I think that's where the Beatles scored after paying their dues, basically being a covers band when they first started. But um, luckily enough, early on, those guys were honing their songwriting crafts, much the same as perhaps Genesis were. Genesis thought that other people were going to sing their songs. They were going to write songs and other people were going to sing them. Same thing that Elton John thought, think again, nobody's interested. You know, um, you've got to get out there and, and do your own stuff. Um, if you're prepared to do that and live out of a suitcase, then I think you've got a very good chance of, uh, of uh, splitting the atom, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I guess, I guess, yeah, that, that would, that would sound about right. Going on your own limb. That's uh, always good with music. And I know you were, yeah. you were present in Genesis um, when Peter Gabriel left the band and became more like Phil Collins based and then turned into like, I guess, more poppy, I'd say. What are, what are your opinions yeah. on the, I guess, post Peter Gabriel, post you Genesis? Right. Well, I did two albums post Gabriel era. So we were a four piece. We did Trick of the Tail, Wind and Wuthering, and um, we were doing Seconds Out, which was cherry picking across the best of, of, of the 70s up to then. That was the live show or part of it. Um, my feeling was that I was, you know, asked if, um, if I wouldn't mind giving up a solo career in order to stay with Genesis. And I, I couldn't, my, my allegiance was to music, first of all, and, 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 and not to the band, even though I thought it was a great, great band. Um, so um, the stuff that happened subsequently, I think, was designed perhaps to um, please MTV. There was, there was this idea that suddenly, you know, having been an albums band, they were, you know, going to become this hugely successful singles band. And I remember having dinner with Tony Banks, Fairly on early on in the 80s, just prior to the formation of, or I think I'd started recording with, with um, Steve Howe, and, he, and Tony said to me, oh, will that come to anything? And he said, you know, you're, you're, you're only as good as your last hit single. And um, fortunately, GTR did have a hit single. We had When the Heart Rules the Mind, and um, 
so it's nice to have a hit, hit single, yeah. But what you don't want to do is to make an album full of potential hit singles that don't quite make it. Uh, doing an album is an opportunity to do something extraordinary. Now, I think that whether you like him or not, Sting had got that right. You know, very experimental albums, and then there was no mistaking the fact that there would be one track you would hear that would be aimed at radio. So that would be, you know, Fields of Gold uh, or whatever it was. There'd be something catchy. And then the rest would be to explore whatever it was in jazz and reggae and those rhythms and that very clever stuff that, that he did. And he's probably still doing. But, you know, um, it's it's a case of, 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 I would say, don't sacrifice yourself totally on the altar of commerciality when there's so much more that an album can produce and, and um, it doesn't have to go through the committee. It doesn't have to, uh, um, uh, it doesn't have to please critics. It has to please an audience. And that's as distinct from critics and radio and being written about and, and everything. Um, a, a band, I think, or an artist has to have identity. Um, whatever you're doing, you, you've got to believe in it. So I think that, imagination and, and and playing from the heart as it were i think this has got to come first so you know if any a and r man is watching this he's probably having kittens going this guy hack it you know everything he says sucks because bah, 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 right <laughs> that's not the way to do it what you got to do is play the game from the word go you got to do this but you got to remember that the music business is in chains well You've got to bite through those chains and don't allow yourself to be turned into, you know, this week's edition of the monkeys. It's it ain't gonna it ain't gonna happen for you. Yeah, well well I for one am so glad that you went your direction. You did your progressive rock thing. You're touring you're you're touring the world doing Foxtrot at fifty. And you know, thank you yeah. so much, Steve, for for joining me thank and talking you. to me about Foxtrot at fifty and your your Genesis right. career. Yeah. Thank you so much, Sam. All, right. All the best. Thank you. Ciao, ciao, ciao. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Bye-bye. I'm Sam, and I hope you enjoyed that interview with Steve Hackett, the guitar player for Genesis. He's touring, doing Foxtrot at 50. Um, he's coming to Seattle, where where I am based, November 9th. So if you can make it, yeah, it'll be an amazing show. And if you enjoyed that interview, keep listening to My Back Pages. You can find us on mybackpages.org, listening on 88.9 The Bridge, or on any streaming service like Spotify or Apple Podcasts. So if you enjoyed, keep listening to hear many great interviews just like this one.